Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Well, church, listen, when it comes to growing up in Christ, or shall we say it like this, when it comes to maturing in our walks with God, because I think really, if we're being honest, that's what we all want to do. We want to mature in Christ. And what we do is we often discover that the Word of God is clear on how we are to measure growth. Listen. The book of James gives us a series of tests, if you will, to determine where we are in our walks with God. It's always good to know, hey, where am I in this? How am I maturing and am I growing? Now, before we revisit those tests and learn what James wants to teach us today, we need to understand that growth in our lives is vital. It's vital. The Word of God through the book of James is teaching us one simple principle. You ready? If you're taking note, jot this down. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. You see, the writer of Hebrews, now listen to this. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 12, says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only in milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, it's time to grow up. And by now, we should be growing in God's word. And he says, but you're not eating solid food. You're, well, you're still drinking milk. You're still drinking milk. And he's like, no, no, it, it shouldn't be. You should be skilled. You should be ready to teach. You should be ready to preach the word of God in season and out of season. And he says, you guys are still babes in the Word of God, in the Word of God. Now, I'd like to illustrate what the writer of Hebrews is saying, this principle this way. Think about when we have a baby, our desire is to see that baby grow. I don't think there's a parent in here that goes, oh, well, some of you might go, I just wish he was so little for forever, but you know, your heart really is to see them grow. Because you go, what's the first thing you do? Oh, if he would just crawl, really, Ma? And they take a couple and like, ah, oh, he's crawling. And then what's your next idea? You're like, okay, he's good. He crawled. We're all good. Let's leave him alone. You know, no, no, I want to see him walk. I want to see him. Talk. Oh, he's forming words. Oh, he's got a sentence. Oh, look at him drool. You know, I mean, all of these things. We even go so far as to, you guys ever do this? You put a measuring line on your wall. Okay, first grade. Oh, there you and oh, you've grown so much, and you've, you've got a wall full of measuring lines. We've done that with our kids, have we not? But my question to you is, what are some things that we did as parents that through the maturity of our kids, we don't need to do anymore? Well, that's not a hard question. Potty comes to mind, right? I mean... When you were first potty training your kids, you went through great efforts to potty train them. You would do stickers. Oh, if you don't, and here's a sticker, and oh, or, or you would get what, awards or incentives. You know, here's, here's the Snickers if you don't potty in your, and, and all of this stuff, right? And so the kid's like, are you serious? And we would do all these things, but here's the point. If you have a 13-year-old, You're not teaching them how to potty anymore, are you? Can you imagine how silly that would be if you walked in with your 13-year-old and go, oh, who's a good baby? Who's a good baby? Oh, come on. Let's see. Tinkle, tinkle. We don't do that. You go, Ben, that's silly. That's silly. It would be. Guys, why don't we do that? Because they're growing up. They're growing up. And again... Using that illustration, James now, under the power of the Holy Spirit, guys, has a a couple of more tests that we have to take to determine how, how much we've grown. Now, let me backtrack just a little bit and remind you 
of the test that we've already looked at. If you recall and you haven't remembered, it's the first test is the test of listening, the test of listening. And we talked about it last week, how we receive the word. In the midst of temptation and trials, listen to what God has to say. That's the first test. Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm stressed out. This is going on. What, what do you have to say to me? How am I supposed to grow? Now, in the midst of that, I know that Solomon can speak into our lives because he says we need to learn how to listen. Now, last week, if you recall, we talked about many of us listen to reply very quickly or listen to respond. We don't listen to really listen. Someone starts talking, oh, let me do all that. Right? Specifically, and now none of you have ever done this, but specifically those of you who have fought with your spouse, okay? It got real quiet in here, didn't it? And your spouse comes in, she goes, ah, we need to talk. And you're like, oh, okay. And then she starts telling you some things, you know, and you're not listening, you're listening to respond. Well, let me tell you some things about you. And next thing you know, you're not talking for 24 hours. And that's not, that's not listening, guys. Listening is exactly going, okay, what am I really supposed to hear? I need to listen this way. Now, Solomon speaks into that in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, right? In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, you can turn there if you're pretty fast, but you notice when it comes to the test of listening, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3, Solomon writes, walk prudently, guys, when you go into the house of God. And draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Can I get an amen? amen. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known for his many words. Now, again, we, we let our words be free, and it was like, amen! But we're very quick to speak, and we're very slow to listen. And he says, when you come to church, are you asking God to speak to you? I need to hear. What do you have for me, Lord? I want to listen. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. In the book of Ezekiel, if you haven't been with us on Wednesday night, that's just blowing me away. But in the book of Ezekiel, right around chapter 6, the children of Israel are under judgment. You guys with me? They're under judgment. They've been idols. I won't get in too deep, but here, here's what happens. They literally tell the Lord, well, you haven't even been with us. You haven't even... And, and, and so what happens, guys... What happens is that we're very quick to speak because we want to justify to God what is going on in our lives. Let's justify. Well, Lord, you hadn't really, listen, I've been praying to you. I've been crying out to you. I've been asking you these things, and I haven't felt like anything. And, and then later on in Ezekiel, guys, the Lord goes, listen, there's some idols in your heart. And because of that, I'm going to have to back away from you. I don't want to. If you'll just repent, I'll come in and I'll be your God. And, and so when we take that personally, we have to be very quick. God, what do you have for me today? You see, at Calvary Chapel Lubbock, guys, we do what is called expository Bible teaching. This is not a sermon. This is a teaching because I want to know what God has for me. I want to know. And every one of us is in a different journey. So when the word of God is being taught, that's where you go, oh, oh. And let me say this, and I said it Wednesday night, I'll say it again. There is a big difference between conviction and guilt. The Holy Spirit will come and convict you, and he'll lovingly go, hey, 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 this is where you're going. Let's, let's stop right there. Where guilt is, you're doing wrong. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. God will never do that. He brings beautiful conviction, but we need to be willing to what? To hear. And so as you come in, you go, Lord, what do I need to hear? What do I need to hear? I talk a lot, some of us, and yeah, I don't want to. I need to hear. I need to hear. You know what a good way, and this is just side note, you know what a good way, a good way when you're talking to somebody? Always repeat back to them what you heard. So what I hear you saying, Lisette, is, oh, that's not what I said at all, or that's not what I meant. I'm sorry, let me communicate a little bit better. 
oh, see, because I heard this, and if we would stop the conversation, then I'd be mad at Lisette. Because in what she said, she said she didn't like my shoes, she thought I didn't dress right, and blah, 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 whatever it might be. You understand that. But that's not what she said at all. So we always go back, hey, I'm sorry, this is what I heard. The second test, guys, moving on quickly, is the test of obedience, and that's what's key. Because James tells us it's not enough just to hear the word, we need to be doers of the word. Be doers and not hearing. Why? Because he, he says the word of God is like a mirror. Anybody have a mirror at their home? What do you do before you, you look in the mirror? Now, if you're trying to lose weight, you avoid the mirror, but that's a whole other story, okay? You just don't look in the mirror like, oh, I don't know who that is. But, but the face-wise, you do. And so what happens, guys, is you look in the mirror and you see what kind of person you are. Now, here's what, this is how James talked about it last week. There are times in our lives when we have either a snapshot or an x-ray. Anybody in here ever have an x-ray of what's going on? Yeah, an x-ray is real internal of what's going on. A picture is just that. It's a picture. Now, I had meant to get with some of the younger folks and ask them about the app called Snapchat. Anybody know what Snapchat is? It's a snap, it's a snap picture that goes away. It shows you for a little while of all the stuff you're doing. It's like, look at me, you know, whatever it might be, and then it goes away. I don't know if it goes away anymore. I was going to ask. I didn't. But I don't want, as I look at God's word, to be a what? To be a Snapchat, to be a Snapchat, to be just here I am and now it's gone. I want to obey the word. I want to obey the word. So I'm going to listen. I want to obey. And then the third test he talked was a test of authentic Christianity where you and I should share the word. Share the word, guys. And how? How do we share the word? Well, first and foremost, in service to the Lord. In service to the Lord. That's the first thing. Can I get an amen? We should be sharing God's word. We should be sharing with people. It's not, it's not like, well, I went to Calvary Chapel and that pastor pounded the pulpit and he said, I need to share. And I said, I'm not, that's not me. Just live your life like the, like the God you love. Guys, you share it as like he's everything to you. That's all you got to do. I mean, how excited do we get when we find a really good sale on something? You go to the store, it's like, is this for real? No. Oh, oh. And right away, you're texting all your friends, there's a sale over here. And we get so excited, and everybody comes in, and it's a great sale. We get so excited about other things, but when it comes to God's word, and somebody says, hey, you look like a Christian. Yeah, I am. And, and it's silence because, because we're not excited about those things. We need to share. But the second thing James tells us to do is not only share the word, but he says, keep yourself pure from the world. Keep yourself pure from the world. Listen, you're already saved, but walking in this world, you're going to get your feet dirty. You're going to get dirty. And that's why they would wash the feet. In old Jerusalem, you would walk dusty streets and you had sandals on. And what would happen is you'd go into somebody's home and you'd have just dirty feet. And the lowest of the servants would come and go, let me wash this before you come into the house. That's common courtesy. That's the act of a servant. You remember when Jesus was with the disciples, right? And he, after the, the supper, he takes and he girds and he starts washing the feet. And Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. And he says, Pete, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. And he's like, then wash all of me. He goes, you don't need a bath, Pete. You just need your feet washed. And you and I, we need our feet washed. And we keep ourselves from allowing the world. Now, you know what the world does? 24-7, 365, continually, church, wants to bombard your house, your life, your thoughts, everything. Bow, 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 bow. And we have to do that actively. Lord, keep me from the world. So we had three tests. The question is, how's it going? What do you mean, how's it going? Well, we, we've got to ask, how are you doing? As we look at our series called Faith in Action, we really made a subtitle as how to become a mature, how to become a strong Christian. And here's what I love about James. He doesn't beat around the bush, does he? He doesn't beat around the bush. He kind of tells it like it is. So much so that there's no difference today. You go, what do you mean? 
Well, in James chapter 2, 1 through 13, guys, he teaches us that we can measure our growth as Christians, ready, by how we treat others. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to turn my back and you can get up and leave if you want to right now, okay? Because it's going to get heavy. No, nobody don't leave. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it is. It is. How do we treat others? How do we how do we really treat others? Every one of us as a believer church has some statement of faith or a personal expression of what he or she believes. So James wants to help practice God's word. So what does he do? He gives us a simple test, a simple test. You go, what's that test? Okay, let me, let me prepare the stage for you. He has sent two visitors into a church service. One of them is a rich man, and the other is a poor man. And you know what the test is? He wanted to see how they were treated, how they were treated. Why? The way we believe towards people indicates what we really believe about God. Come on, church. The way we believe or the way we behave towards people indicates what we really believe about God. Why? Because we cannot separate human relationships from divine fellowship. In other words, we cannot claim to be believers outside the church. We cannot go, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but you go to work and you act like you're not a believer at all. Oh, no, no, I'm separate. My work life is my work life. And in my work life, boy, those guys deserve a cussing. I give them a cussing. Oh, those guys deserve like a taskmaster. No, you're just like, no, no, no. Oh, but then I come to church and I say, oh, great thou art. How are you doing? He's saying, no, that's not, no, no. We cannot separate human relationships from our divine fellowship. And may I remind you what 1 John 1, 4.20 says. Well, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? That's convicting, isn't it? I love God, but you're, you're mean? Oh, oh, we gossip about somebody? We talk about somebody behind their back? I don't know if we love God. How can you say, I love God, and hate your brother? Who's my brother? Who's my brother? Every one of us is created in the Imago Imago Dei. Everyone is created in God's image. Every one of us. And it doesn't matter what color of skin you have or anything else or where you came from or what side of the tracks you were. We're all brothers and sisters. Now, we may have been taught wrong, but are we not all brothers and sisters? So I cannot say to you, I love God, but you see me mistreating my brother or being ugly or gossiping or whatever it might be, that's a test of true maturity. If someone says, I love God, John writes, and hates his brother, he's a liar. And everyone, well, what is he lying about? Well, for he who does not love his brother whom he's seen, how can he say he loves God? So you're, you're basically lying about loving God, loving God. The Lord Jesus Guys, our Jesus declares much of the same thing. He says in Mark 12, 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater, no other commandment greater than these. What is he saying? He's saying you and I are called to love God. And he says, "That's love them with everything. And when you love them with everything, then you'll love people as well. You'll love people as well. Isn't that hard? It's hard to do, isn't it? 
because we all have personalities and they all rub us the wrong way and this and that and the other. But I really want to love God because that's the commandment he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. He says, and then this, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting? He's telling us to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. And you know we love ourselves, aren't we? Don't we? We do. We, nobody has to tell me I love me. I mean, I'll have a good dinner. I'll have a good dinner, and I'll wake up in the morning, and my stomach's going, hey, we need to eat. And I don't sit there and go, I don't love you. You don't need to eat. I'm like, we need to eat something. I'm hungry. And we just, we feed, and we nurture, and we take care of ourselves. Why do we do that? Because we love ourselves, don't we? So why don't we do that with our neighbor? So what I've done, if I, so what I've done is I've entitled this message "Can't Buy Me Love," and here's why: because today we're going to discover the test of brotherly love, and that we cannot buy a love that comes from an authentic walk with God, a heart that's truly transformed. And what James does, he gives us four jot these down principles in light of the way we treat others. This is how we should treat others. Okay, so how do we treat others? Point number one. In light of who Jesus is, that's how we treat others, in light of who Jesus is. How so? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. James writes, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord of glory, with partiality. You go, Ben, what did he say? What did, what did James say? You ready? Literally, he says, My brothers, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ by the glory of the Lord, by showing favoritism. Favoritism, the glorious faith we have, the faith in Jesus should never be associated with favoritism. Favoritism. You go, what do you mean? Well, either favoritism or, you ready? Discrimination. Discrimination. The Lord Jesus, guys, the glory of the Lord himself, he shows no favoritism. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad? Come on, I only heard one. But according to Deuteronomy 10.17 and 10.34, he shows no favoritism. And yet there have been times in my life, just being honest with you, that I felt like God was showing favor to other pastors and not to me. Lord, what did they, what, what? how come he got a lot, but Lord. We often do that in our houses, don't we? We show favoritism to certain people. Our kids, oh, well, that's your, you know, we talk about that, but God says he doesn't show favorite. Now, let me just do this because my wife's in the room, okay? My wife always says there are days when it's beautiful and there's these beautiful clouds up there, and she'll look at me and she'll say, I'm God's favorite today. And she does that to poke me, but you know why? Because I said, no, you're not, because no, God doesn't show favorite. She goes, yes, I am, yes, I am. The case is that he favors all of us, doesn't he? He does, but, but he doesn't show any favoritism. He doesn't go, oh, you know what I'm going to do today? Natalie's my favorite today. I'm going to put these big white puffy clouds, great sunshine, warm day. She's going to run. It's going to be great. He does that because he loves us all the way around, but he doesn't show favoritism. So why would James write this? Now, listen, because James write this, there was a very partial age that he's writing this. And it was filled with prejudice. Huh, sounds familiar. It was filled with hatred based on class, ethnicity, nationality, religious background. See, in the ancient world, the people were routinely and permanently categorized, whether they were Jew or Gentile, whether they were slave or they were free, or they were rich or they were poor, or because they were Greek or barbarian or whatever. This was the classism. And you go, wait, we haven't gone far from that, have we? Church, come on. Let's can can we be honest in church? Can we be honest in church? You go, no, I don't want to be honest. No. We do that. We do that by the person of someone, the color of someone's skin. We automatically prejudge. No matter what. And then our world went upside down these past few years, and it's gone just all over the place. And you'll watch the football game and it'll say stamp out prejudice. And it's the very and, and it's just like, wait a minute. James says that shouldn't have even been an issue from the beginning, but because you're human and you're sinful, you look at that and you go, oh, oh, oh. 
a significant and vital work of Jesus when he came, church, was to break down the walls that divided humanity and bring forth one new race of mankind in him. He says, he says listen, we're not going to be Jew or Gentile or rich or poor. That doesn't matter. He says, we're going to be brothers and sisters. We're going to be Christ-like. Christ-like. Oh, oh. That's why when you go somewhere and you meet somebody and they tell you he's a Christian, your spirit bears witness with their spirit. And you're like, well, you can't be a Christian because you don't go to Calvary Chapel. Only Christians go to Calvary Chapel. You, I don't know where you go. That's not what you say, is it? Yes, he's, he's, he's pointing to his wife. Okay. <laughs> we, we bear witness with other people and we go, oh, brother. Why do we get along so well? It's my brother. He loves Jesus like me. And there's this, that, that's what Jesus, that's, that was the significant work. The unity and openness in the early church was an astonishment to the ancient world. But this unity didn't come automatically, did it? As this command from James shows, the apostles had to teach the early church never to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in partiality. You go, Ben, what happens? So he provides a test. Okay? Here's the test. Now, real quick, how many of you like tests? Like no one in here likes a test, like nobody. How many of you know the material and you'll still blow the test? Yeah, <laughs> we get so nervous that it's like, I knew that, but I started second guessing, I overthought it, and man, I'll never forget, I had moved to Missouri and I had to renew my license and they made me take a driving, the, the written test. I had been driving for so long that I'm like, I don't know how long I'm supposed to stop before a tractor, ah, you know, and... I didn't fail the test a little bit, just, you know. You know the stuff, but you fail, right? And then we have all these A personalities probably ace the test without even studying. Anybody in here do that? Just, <laughs> we have one. Like, I'm not good. Here's the test. You ready? Here's the test at James. Let's see if we pass. He says in verse 2, For if there should come into your assembly, now let's, let's modernize it. If there should someone come into Calvary Chapel, Lubbock, with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. So now what's the test? Well, we got, we got a guy who's, who's GQ, whoo, looking good, and you also got a bum. Dirty clothes, homeless. And you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, Oh, oh, you sit here, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there. Or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What would you say, church? You go, amen. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Calvary Chapel... All of a sudden, somebody comes in here, man, pulls up, and it's like, I don't know, what's, I mean, just a $100,000 car, whatever that means, and you recognize that? And so you're like, oh, wow. And they get out, and I mean, they're like, whoa. And you're wondering what they're doing here anyway. You're like, why at Calvary? He's like, oh, I heard you on the radio, and I wanted to come check it out. And you're like, cool, awesome. And then, and then pastor sees them. Here, do you see that guy? Now we're going to get a new building soon. Come on in. Come on in. Right, right here. Move out of the way, Peter. Get over here. How you doing? How are you? How'd you hear about us? And, and then all of a sudden, at the same time, another guy comes in. Now he doesn't have to be homeless, but he's dirty, and he's, you know. And so I, huh. hey, hold on. Hold, hold. Hold on, I'll be right with you. You want coffee? You want donut? I'll bring it here. Hey, hey, Francis, tell him to sit over there. He stinks. And so Francis goes, come, come with me. Come right here. Have we not shown partiality? 
and we've become judges in our evil thoughts. How so? Because I'm, I'm paying special attention because I, I'm saying, what could this guy do for me? And I know he can't do anything. To favor the rich man over the poor man, you know what James says? It shows a deep carnality among Christians. Wow. And to show favoritism to the rich man shows far more about us. You go, what does it mean? It shows that we care more about the outward appearance than we do the heart. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The man looks at what? The outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. God looks at the heart, and so should we. I'll never forget the story. Um, I can't even tell you what pastor it is, but, but he said it was Easter Sunday. Church was packed, I think, three times over. He was tired at the end of it all. He sat at the stage right here. He sat down. He was tired, and he noticed one man over there just sitting. I just want to go home. I want to have my Easter dinner. It's been great. People got saved. And this man came up to him and said, Pastor, can I talk to you? And the look on his face was like, after three services we've been planning, I'm just tired. And so he says this. He took out his wallet. And he's going to hand the guy a few bucks and be like, here you go, buddy. And he goes, no, no, pastor, I don't want your money. Could you tell me about this Jesus you were talking about? And for the next 40 minutes, the pastor actually talked about Jesus, led him to Christ. Fast forward five to seven years, this man who was, a, who was homeless in his church on Easter Sunday is now one of his assistant pastors. But how quick are we to dismiss? Oh, here's a few bucks. He said he felt so bad that he cried all the way home. And again, what does that show? It shows more about our walks with God than it does about God. It shows that we misunderstand who's important and blessed in the sight of God. When we assume that the rich man is more important and more blessed by God, we too value in material riches. It also shows a selfish streak in us. You go, how so? How so? Well, we usually we favor the rich man over the poor man because we believe that we can get more from the rich man. He can do favors for us. And the poor man can't. So how do we practice in light of Christ is? How do we do this? Like, like it's, it's important to practice in light of who Christ is. Well, it's simple. You ready? Let every person look at every person through the eyes of Christ. Lord, how do you see him? How do you see him? Listen, if he's smelly and you have means... Give him a shower. Lord, what would you do? You go, okay, Ben, so so what if you had the rich man to my left and the poor man to my right? What should we do? You and I should accept every visitor who's a Christian because we can expect that Christ lives in him. You go, well, Ben, what if the poor man or the rich man is not a Christian? We can receive him because Christ died for him. Listen, it's Christ who is the link between us and them. So how do we grow up? We look at everything through the light of Christ. Lord, what do you want to do? Who is this? Why did you bring them? Why are they here? That's every one of us. That's every one of us. Number two, church, we should see, um, we should treat people in light of God's grace. Look at verse five. James writes, listen, my beloved brethren, God has not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, or God has chosen the poor, I'm sorry, let's start over. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? There's a question mark, okay? Though it's easy for men, you and I, if you will, at times to be partial to the rich, God is impartial to them. God is impartial to them. 
In fact, since riches are an obstacle in the kingdom, we know that in Matthew 19, there's a sense in which the poor of this world are especially blessed by God. They are chosen to be rich in faith because the poor of the world are simply more opportunities to trust God. Therefore, they may be far more rich in faith than the rich man. Isn't that true? Now, I don't want you to come in here going, oh, it's wrong to have money. God has blessed you. There's nothing wrong with having money. But what I'm telling you is that sometimes when we don't have a lot of money, we have more opportunities to trust God. You know, trying to make ends meet, you really need God to go, okay, Lord, we need to we need to trust us. Now, if you're blessed with a great job and you're blessed to make ends meet and you are blessed, then be blessed and be a blessing to others. Give. Sacrificially give. Oh, there it is. There it is. Pastor Ben's teaching us to give at Calvary. I knew it. No, 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 no. I'm saying give. Buy groceries to a single mom who needs it. Buy, you know, pay somebody's light bill. Whatever, whatever God has for you. Be a blessing. Be it, Lord, what do you have? What do you have? Guys, think about the rich men. Jesus said, these poor people, they're chosen. They're heirs of the kingdom because he said that a rich man is harder to get into the kingdom of heaven Right? It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Here's the point. When you and I choose people by what we can see on the surface, we miss the mind of God. Remember, Judas appeared to be much better leadership than Peter. You go, what do you mean? On the outward, he was the money guy. He was, he was the organizer. He handled all the external stuff. And yet, what happened outwardly? He looked great. Inwardly, not so much. Not so much. Think about this again. You know, and again, I want to reiterate this because we've already put it. First Samuel 16, 7, I'm going to read it in the New Living. It says, but the Lord, sent to, the Lord sent to, said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. He says, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now notice verse 6 and 7. James writes, but you have dishonored the poor man. Why? Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Guys, here's how it should be at Calvary Chapel. Let's bring it home. Rich, poor, middle ground, whatever it might be, we are called to love people back to life. This church should be the best fed, most loved. I want people in here, guys, to feel like this is home. I want them to be so like, oh, those people just love me. They're just bugging me. They just love me. Oh, I'm telling them to stop loving me. That's, that's what I want, because the opposite would be this. Nobody talked to me. No, I, I went to that church, and nobody said hi to me. Nobody asked me if I wanted to go to lunch. Nobody asked me my name. I never want our church to do that. I'm not saying that you have to be BFF, and, and, but I'm, what I'm telling you is that whoever comes in here, now, if you have a guy come in and sit in the middle row here and he's tatted up and he's got earrings and he looks like, oh my gosh, he could beat me up with one look, we still love him. If we have a guy come in here and he's wearing the finest apparel, he's got the suit and everything out, what do we do? We don't judge. We still love him. Not for what he could do for our church. That's not who we are. We love him because that's who God is in us. I need to love him. I need to love him. But I want you to notice, he says again, but you have dishonored the poor man. Why? Because we're paying favoritism to the rich. He says, but don't these rich guys, what do they do? They drag you to the courts. And don't they 
blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? And you know what James is saying? <laughs> He's saying a couple of things here. What's that? Well, notice the word dishonored. If you have a pencil handy, you can circle it because he says, you have rendered infamous. For example, you maltreat, despise, dishonor, suffer, shame, entreat, shamefully. He says, you, Christian, you've, you've mistreated the poor guy. No, I haven't. Yeah, we have. If we're honest, we have. But he says, but listen, it, it, something's even deeper than that. You go, what's that? He says, he says Doesn't, don't, don't the rich people oppress you and drag you into the courts? Jesus reminds his readers that the rich often sin against them because of the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says, for this reason alone, the rich are not worthy of partiality in often, that's often shown to them. But I want you to see something very interesting. Notice verse 7. He says, do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you're called? Let me just tell you what he says. All too often, they're the ones who laugh at Jesus Christ, whose name you bear. You're a what? <laughs> you're a what? You're Oh, here's the Christian, you know? You'll hear him say, you'll hear rich people who don't know my Jesus say, I've never been a Christian, and I've got, I've made a self-made millionaire, man, self-made money. I've got it all. I don't need you. You're over here. That Jesus is a crutch, and they'll blaspheme the name that you hold dear to your heart. Wow. Wow. And yet... Listen, Christian, and yet in our flesh, we lift them. Oh, 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 I want to rub elbows with this guy because he's, he's somebody famous and he's got, I want to rub, how you, how you doing? How, oh, hey, you've seen it. No, you know what? God, how do you want us to see this? You see, the doctrine of the grace of God, if we really believe it forces us to relate to people on the basis of God's plan and not the basis of human merit or social status. We're time to grow up, isn't it? Number three, how do we treat people? You ready? In light of God's word. In light of God's word. So what does James do? I love it. He takes us to the word. Look at verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you do well. So James anticipates, I love this, that some of his readers might defend their partiality to the rich. Well, 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 you know what? Here he is. Here he, I'm just loving him because God says love all people and he's here. I love you too over there, Francis, back there. I love you. Yeah, you're, you're okay, but, but, but you're here. He says, no, 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 let me anticipate this. In other words, people are saying, hey, I show favoritism because the word of God tells me to love my neighbor. But I want you to notice verse 9. But if you show partiality, he says, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. And he says, if you're being partial, if you're showing favoritism, he says, that's a sin. That's a sin. The problem isn't that you are nice to the rich. The problem is that you're showing partiality to the rich. And you're not nice to the poor man. So you can't excuse your partiality by saying, I'm just fulfilling the, the command that God says to love your neighbor as yourself. You're not. He tells us, if you really fulfill the royal law, what's the royal law, guys? Well, our God and great king and his law is royal law. Our King Jesus put special emphasis on this command from the Old Testament in Leviticus and so what James does is he reminds us, he's, re, he's reminding us that the poor man as just as much our neighbor as the rich man. You go, well, okay, okay. So what sin do I commit? What sin? You've broken the law because we have not loved the poor man the way we've loved ourselves. So that's sin. You haven't loved him. You haven't loved him. Now, James is being very gracious in the fact that what? That this poor man and this rich man has come into church. But what about just everyday life outside? outside. So you show up 
in your nice car that God has provided for you, and you show up to go buy groceries, and you see somebody outside who's less than desirable. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, panhandler or a beggar, what's your attitude? I know what it is. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. You, but, but just say you do. And he looks at you, and he's like, you know, and, and you know, and then, and when you make eye contact, so guess what happens? He starts walking towards you. And you're like, oh, <laughs> hey, hey, can you spare a few bucks? Can you? And what's our attitude? What's our attitude? I know what it is. Come on, be honest. No, because you're just going to go take this and buy booze. So our attitude should be, hey, what's the matter? I'm hungry. Well, let me take you inside and, and buy you some food. Let me take you inside and buy you some food. Now, at Calvary Chapel, guys, you guys are so generous. Here's what we do. If somebody needs food, we will buy them food. But we will not hand them a check full of money and say, here, go ahead. We, we trust you. If we have to, in our body, pay for somebody's light, we'll pay to that. But we don't treat them any different. We don't treat them any different. I believe there are times that the Lord tests us in this. Anybody with me? He tests us. He tests us by bringing us somebody that you would think is poor or whatever it might be. Now, I'm not that pastor, the one pastor um, who was preaching on this particular sermon and decided on Sunday morning that he would dress up like a bum and lay outside the church and see what his people would do. And he said, the majority of them just walked past him. And then all of a sudden, when the sermon was about to start, he comes walking in with that same thing, and everybody's like, no, we don't need to do that. We have God's word. But I have seen my church go above and beyond with people out in this parking lot to love them and to bring them and to give them food. So I sit there and I go, amen. They're not looking at like, well, well the, you know, he's, he's walking and he's this, this and that and the other. And, oh, well, he's never going to come to our church. So we won't, we'll just, we always go, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? We have blessing bags. We have stuff that we can give. We're, we're here for you. Because I don't want to sin against God that way. I don't want to sin God. Look at verse 10 with me, guys. He says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, what's that, church? He is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. Do you guys see what he's doing? James here guards against the selective obedience, the sort that will pick and choose which commands of God should be obeyed and which should be safely discarded. In other words, we can't say, well, I like God's command against murder. I don't want anybody to murder. I don't want to be murdered but say, man, I don't like his command against adultery, so I'm not going to pay attention to that. God is saying, I care about the whole law, the whole law. Just keep that in mind. So how should we treat others? Point number four, in light of God's judgment. So in light of how we treat others and understanding the royal law, James goes, okay, guys, listen, listen, I need to warn you about something. You go, what's that? The judgment of God. Listen, not for our sins, but for our works and our behavior. He will be judged and rewarded. And rewarded. Look at verse 12. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that a great verse right there? You go, Ben, what's happening? He says, judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Wow. 
as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, we should always show mercy to others. How? By refraining from partiality. You know, we don't, we don't show partiality. We love all people. Again, remember, you are all God's creations. Every one of us. Every one of us. Listen, in the kingdom, we're not going to sit there and go, oh, well, you know, these guys have it good, or that. I don't understand. It's like, man, thank God. Thank God. Show mercy. Show mercy to people. They need mercy. I don't know about you, but I need mercy. Why should we show mercy? Why should we not show partiality? I'll tell you why. Because I never want our church for people to come in and go, oh, well, these people have it all together. I mean, they have it all together because we're probably some of the most misfit people that are struggling every single day. That's why we're here, because we're going, God, you need, you need to work with me. You need to help me. We cannot. Oh, oh. So, so James, guys, is relating another principle from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you go, what's that? Well, over in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, notice what Jesus says. I'm going to read it in the New Living so you get a, a good idea. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So let me, let me illustrate it this way. And then, and then we'll bring it to a close. Let me illustrate this way. When you sit down, whether at home or at a restaurant, and you ask for the blessing, hey, who, who wants to pray? And we pray. Now, I wonder how many of us really pray in light of the fact that there are many people around the world that can't eat like we do. And we're really blessed. You, you understand that. Or is it, Lord, you know, bless this food. God is good. God is great. Bless the food. I'm about to eat. I don't know, whatever you say. Or really think about the fact that there are starving and less fortunate people, and you're super grateful. God, thank you so much. Thank you. Are we thankful, guys, are we thankful for the house that we live in, whether big or small, new or old, or things you want to change, or are we super thankful? God, thank you. Question, you ready? How many of us thanked God for a shower this morning? Okay, you got in the shower and said, thank you for the shower? Amen. Thank you for water. Think about this. I, I, I often think of the missionary, the missionary who came off and he said, and they, and they, and they were just they were questioning, hey, man, how, how was it in the mission field? And he goes, you know what? I had to trust God for everything. I mean, every meal I had to trust God. I had to trust that he, he just, he blessed me. And then I got called back. And, and so when I got home and things settled down, he says, I would go to the refrigerator and I'd open the refrigerator and I would just start weeping. Why? why? Why would you weep? Is it because you just saw all of this food that you didn't have in the mission field? He goes, actually, it's opposite. He said, when I saw this food, he says, I didn't have to trust God anymore. And then you're like, oh. For you and I, the lesson is clear. To grow in Christ, to grow and mature in Christ is really simple. How do we treat others? Now, James points out a rich man and a poor man, but my question is, is how do we just normally treat people? How do we treat people? Are we loving them with the love of the Lord? Are we opening up our hearts and our lives and our, and our pocketbook? Are we doing these things that... And, and God will prompt you, hey, 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 
I want you to do this. How are we, how are we doing there? How are we doing? I can tell you me, I can tell you me, there are times when I believe the Lord knocks and he says, I want you to do this, whether it's give them 20 bucks or buy them this. And, and so I fight the Lord on that. I'm not going to lie. And so I've had to learn. I've had to learn. When I'm approached by somebody who's needing money, I often say, okay, what, what are you going to use this for? Um, you know, we, I, my car's down the road, need to, need to put gas. Uh, are you going to use this for alcohol or anything else? No, 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 no. You sure? I'm sure. Okay, well, I'd love to give you this 20 bucks, but, but can I pray with you first? Oh, of course, praise God. Lord Jesus, I've got a friend here that I'm going to give $20 to. My prayer is that he would get violently ill if he were to drink it and use it for alcohol. <laughs> In Jesus, right? He would end up in the hospital and just puking his gut. Okay, don't say, let's, you guys see what I'm saying? A lot of times you'll go, they'll be like, oh. But the point is, hey, I, I want to I help. I, I don't look, we don't want to look at that. I don't look at that. The way, the way we treat people, come on somebody, speaks more about our walks with God than it does about God. Listen to me. Listen, you ready? Calvary Chapel Lubbock, you're the only Bible many people will read. And I don't want them to read a bad version. Now, if you can't give, don't give. But don't show partiality either. If somebody says, hey, you know, can I buy? I'm sorry, I, I just don't have it. But listen, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, whatever I can do or whatever, I'm sorry. You know, be honest. Why? You ready? Because mature Christians will always seek to honor God by loving people the way Christ did. Is that a good place for an amen? As we prepare our hearts for communion, I'll ask the worship team to come on up. I'll ask the ushers to come on up. James is giving us the test of faith. The test of how are we going to grow? As we partake and get ready to partake in communion, the ushers are going to pray. They're going to begin passing this out to us. Take a moment. Ask the Lord, Lord, how do I treat people? How do I treat people? If you can look back in your life and say, man, I haven't done a great job, then he's asking you to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. That's just part of growth. At Calvary Chapel, rich or poor, Love them back to life. Love people in a way that brings them to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. As we prepare our hearts for communion, would you just hold on to them? We're going to take them together as a family. As the ushers are passing them out, let me just share a couple of things with you. The Bible says not to partake in an unworthy manner. And the most common unworthy manner is when someone comes to church on a Sunday morning and they're not saved. 
they don't have a relationship with God. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you realized I was saying some things and and you're not right with God, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute. It won't take long, but I want to give you an opportunity to go, yes, Lord. You go, well, Ben, if I pray and I, and I get saved, well, will I be able to take communion? Absolutely. Absolutely. Another unworthy manner, guys, is that we've carried some bitterness or some anger or something in our hearts. Like we haven't like, like, who knows? You were, you were fighting with your husband or, or you were fighting with your wife on your way to church, and then you walk in here and you're like, oh, God bless you, and, and everything's fine, but you know it's not fine. You've got some stuff in you. Would you just confess that to God? And if you've been awful, man, to your wife, turn around and say, sweetie, will you please forgive me? I can't take this until I'm right with you. Wives, if you are not great, same thing. If you had some bitterness in your life, something that's just holding you, would you just confess that to the Lord? Because the first thing we do is we want to look within our hearts. We want to look within, make sure that, Lord, is everything okay with me, Lord? Is everything okay with us? The second thing, Lord, as we get ready to partake, is that we... The second thing we do as we partake, guys, is to look um, back. Look back at all the things God has done and how he's blessed you. Thank him for showers and heat and carpet and walls. Thank him for food and love and family. (sighs) Thank him for all the things he's done. And then most importantly, look forward. Look forward to what God wants to do. Why do we look forward? Because you remember, our Jesus told us that he wasn't going to partake in this until we're in the kingdom. And so we look forward to that day where we're not taking it down here anymore, but we're taking it with him in heaven. That day's coming soon. Not today, because we're here. But we want to look forward. We want to look forward. Guys, the best is yet to come. In our lives and in our walks, the best is yet to come. Why? Because through James and through the Word of God, we all want to draw closer to Him. I want to grow in Him. His Word, guys, is so powerful and so amazing that just studying it, guys, just grows us. In the book of Ezekiel on Wednesday nights, guys, in chapter 9, the Lord is leaving the temple because of the idolatry. I don't want him to leave me, Lord. I don't, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, David said. I don't, is there anything in our hearts right now that we need to confess to him? Hey, with every eye closed and every head bowed, holding your elements, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor Ben, I don't know if I'm in a right relationship with God, not like the one you were saying, but I want to be? Can I pray for you? You go, what do I need to do? All you need to do is lift your hand. Nobody will see you. You'll say, Pastor Ben, pray for me. I, I want to be right with God. God bless you, sister. God bless you. It's not that, it's not that you know, that you've messed up. We're all, we're all sinners. We mess up. But it's just like you're just not Right. Anyone else? God bless you, sister. To my right over here, I see you in the back. Father, I pray for these that have lifted their hands. I pray your spirit would just move in them, give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. They would believe, and today they would dedicate themselves to follow you all the days of their lives. And when they make mistakes, Lord, they would confess those mistakes. They would confess their sins to you and get right back up and keep moving forward. I would ask, Lord, that the devil, that you would bind that devil from their lives, from trying to trigger them into anything that's not glorifying to you. May they surrender their lives completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, 
As we take a moment to pray, let's grab the bread. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He says, do this in memory of me. So this is a celebration that we're doing in memory of God. And we're going to take it together in the name of Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's take the bread together. When supper was ended, he again, he took the wine. And he said, this is the... This is the new covenant. This is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. Whenever you take this, do this in memory of me. Lord, next time, in heaven. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.